listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our reading today is from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. And thank you for that reading, Julie. Can faith save you? That's the question James asks in the passage that Julie just read for us. And while I think the question is asked somewhat rhetorically, the context implies that the answer is no. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. That famous line, right? But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you grew up or came to faith in just about any Protestant church over the last 500 years, um, this is a problem for you. Um, I know it's a problem for me. I grew up at First Baptist Church of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, so of course I traveled very far out of my faith tradition, Um, but uh, it was a small American Baptist congregation, not that much unlike ours. Um, It was uh, a little bit bit more traditional, uh, a little bit more evangelical-leaning, we might say. Of course, uh, evangelical meant something very different back then, but I remember I remember sitting in the new members class at First Baptist Church of Bethlehem, the class you had to take to get baptized and join the church, and I remember the teacher of that class, Mrs. Elmore, telling all of us that all you had to do to be saved was have faith. Just believe. Say this prayer, believe these things, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're good, you're in, you're a Christian. It appears that James might disagree. James tells us 
Highlight this final line here in the slides. A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This isn't just a problem for us. This is a problem for Protestant Christianity, and it has been from the beginning. Um, This is why we tend to shy away from James. You don't hear James preached a lot. Um, This is why there have been efforts throughout church history to remove James from the Bible. Uh, We talked about this back in the first week of this series. I mentioned that Martin Luther, the 16th century German Protestant reformer, tried to remove James from the Bible. This is why. Luther had an issue with James's view of faith and works. For about 500 years now, Protestant Christianity, which is basically any church that's not Roman Catholic, we've taught that salvation is by faith alone. We are saved by faith and not by works, which is also found in the Bible, and it's found in the writings of a guy named Paul. Let's get Paul and James up on the slides. There they are. James looking very unimpressed, I think. Um, But Paul and James. Paul was a missionary in the early church. Um, He was a contemporary of James, so these two guys knew each other. They interacted. Um, And while James was leading the church in Jerusalem, Paul was going around the Mediterranean world starting new churches. Paul also wrote about half the books in the New Testament. Humble brag. Um, And on the surface... Paul and James seem to disagree here. Now, we've already heard from James. Put this line back up there. A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James 2, 24. That's James. But here's what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. Paul's a little more wordy, warning. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works. Hmm. Maybe this will clarify. Um, In Galatians, Paul puts it even more succinctly. We know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. One of these things is not like the other, right? (laughs) Like some wires got crossed somewhere. Um, Personally, I'm a little different because I love this. This gets me excited. I see something like this in the Bible, an apparent contradiction, and I'm like, ooh, a debate. Like, I'm, I'm ready. Um, <clears throat> I personally love that we have different perspectives, different contexts preserved in this divinely inspired library of books we call the Bible. I think that's incredible. Even so, though, I can understand if this makes you a little uncomfortable. How do we reconcile this? Is there any reconciling this? Are we saved by faith or by works? How can we bring James and Paul together? That's my goal for today. See if we can unite these two leaders of the early church. First point I want to make on this front is that faith and works belong together. Faith and works belong together. They're a pair. Think like peanut butter and jelly, right? Both solid on their own, but put them together and you're really cooking. Faith and works belong together. We need both. Neither one is sufficient on its own. Um, This tension we see between Paul and James makes a whole lot more sense if you understand the context of Paul and the context of James. 
Um, Paul, like I said, was a missionary. His ministry was really one of inclusion. Paul was a religious insider who took the gospel to religious outsiders. He went into Gentile territory. That's like hostile, pagan, non-Jewish territory proclaiming the good news of the Jewish Messiah. That was Paul's deal. And he was incredibly successful. Um, Paul started dozens of churches And these baby Christians he raised up in the faith, these outsider Christians, had a slight problem. Other Christians. (laughs) More, More established Christians, lifelong followers of God, who already had their own way of doing things, their own way of doing church, their own way of being part of God's family, and they tried to impose that on these new outsider Christians. If you were a Gentile Christian back then, you had all this pressure to conform. You had fellow Christians, other people in the pews, telling you what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, where you could go, where you couldn't go, what days you had to celebrate, which ones you didn't, how to dress. People trying to conform you, to fit you into their way of following Jesus. We really haven't changed that much, right? Like this is still something that we struggle with. In many Christian circles today, there is still a right way to do things because it's the way we've always done it, right? And if you don't quite fit, if you're not fitting in the mold, we try to pressure you to conform. And if you won't conform, we usually kick you out. That's how we still kind of do it in a lot of churches. In that context... Paul tells these baby Christians, these outsider Christians, don't listen to those nitwits in the pews. (laughs) Don't conform. Don't listen to those people. You are not saved by works. You can't earn your salvation by dressing a certain way, eating a certain way, following a set of rules. Salvation is by faith, not by works. That's Paul's context. Are we following this so far? Okay. James, on the other hand, is where? What city is he operating in? Jerusalem, right? The mother church. James is discipling. He's leading these established Christians, folks who have been part of God's family their whole lives. James's ministry is with the insiders, people who think they've got it all figured out. I've been in this since birth. I'm good. I've got my theology right. I believe all the right things. I go to the right church. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'm good. I've checked every single box. But we know from what we've already read in this book that the people James is writing to are up to some messed up stuff. They're mistreating the poor. They're forcing the poor to sit kind of toward the back of the room when they gather for church. Um, They're elevating the rich. They might have good theology. They might believe all the right things, but their ethics are a mess. They are not following Jesus and how they actually live and conduct themselves. So James tells these Christians, don't think your faith is gonna save you. Faith without works is dead. You think you can have faith apart from works? You think you can believe the right things and then just do whatever you want to people at the margins? That's not how this works. People should look at our lives They should look at our works and see the fruit of our faith. Faith and works belong together. They're a pair. It's not either or. It's both 
and. It's kind of like when Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about judging a tree by its fruit, right? Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. You should see evidence in the fruit of our lives. Are we tracking on this? Am I kind of like making sense, bringing this together? All right. Faith and works belong together. It's not either or, it's both and. Second point I want to make here to reconcile James and Paul a bit. When James talks about works, he's almost always referring to how we treat the poor. Almost always. Let's read verse 14 again. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or a sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This is the fourth week in a row James has talked about how we treat the poor, right? When James talks about works, he's not talking about some like, pious religious performance. Um, You don't get saved by going to church more, uh, reading your Bible every day, saying lots of prayers. All good things, by the way, all good things, but you can't earn your way into heaven by being religious. That's not what James means by works. Our way to heaven has already been paved by Jesus. He did all the work that needed to be done. The works James wants to see is that fruit of how we treat the poor, how we treat the least of these. As followers of Jesus, how we live matters. How we treat the poor matters. How we treat immigrants and refugees at our border and in our communities matters. The products we buy and uh, the working conditions of the people who make those products, that matters. How we treat trans kids matters. So does the way we vote, the policies we support, the leaders we get behind, the causes we show up for and give money to. All that stuff matters. That's fruit. There's good fruit, there's bad fruit. This is personal for me, um, in part because I really love the church. Being part of the church, growing up in church, especially as a kid, saved my life. But the church's name is being dragged through the mud right now. Our witness is being ruined by self-proclaimed Christians who have no interest in actually following Jesus. There is no more dangerous force in the world right now than a sort of cultural Christianity, Christian nationalism. Um, This brand of Christianity that aligns itself with worldly power, right? That uses Jesus as a tool to lift ourselves up and put other people down. I'm thinking of Christians who claim to be pro-life, but then cut programs that lift children out of poverty. Christians who ban books and spread fear Christians, Baptists for crying out loud, who protest at the funerals of gay kids and soldiers. The world is seeing this stuff. 
People out there are watching, they are witnessing these works, and it is absolutely demolishing faith in Christ. If you want to see revival, if you want to see more people coming to faith and putting their trust in Jesus, we need a whole lot less of that nonsense and a whole lot more of Christians feeding the poor, welcoming immigrants, building hospitals and schools in developing countries. We need more of Christians marching onto a war zone and forming a line between the two sides. Those are some works of righteousness that I can get behind. And I think that both Paul and James would be united on that. When James talks about works, he's referring to how we treat the poor. One last point to kind of bring this all together. Number three. When it comes to following Jesus, how we live matters more than having right doctrine. How we live matters more. You are never going to hear me say that faith doesn't matter. I have a PhD in theology. <laughs> I think doctrine's really important. But as important as it is to have good ideas about God, we need right belief and right practice, preferably united together. And when it really comes down to it, when the rubber hits the road, how we live matters so much more than some abstract ideas we hold in our head. James uses the example of Rahab, which is an interesting choice. Um, it says something that when James looks for an example of this, he turns to Rahab. Do we know the story of Rahab? Are we familiar with Rahab? Um, Rahab's story is found in the Old Testament. Um, the Israelites have escaped from slavery in Egypt after 400 years of being enslaved. And they're about to go back into their homeland, but their homeland has been taken over by other peoples, other nations. And one of the first places the Israelites come into conflict with is the city of Jericho. Rahab lived in Jericho. She ran a brothel there. Okay. The kids are in here, so I'm not going to say too much more about that. But, um, <laughs> and the Israelites, the Israelites send a few spies into the city of Jericho to scope it out. And of course, those spies end up at the brothel for reconnaissance. <laughs> totally. Um, but now Rahab, she would have been something like a madam, right? That was, that was her job. She runs this establishment. And in that time and place, she's the wrong gender. Uh, she's part of the wrong people. She lives in the wrong city. She worships the wrong God. And she's in a career path that is pretty far from the norm of most heroes of the Bible, I think we'd say. But when the authorities show up looking for these spies, Rahab hides them. She gives them shelter. She lies to the soldiers to protect the spies. And then when the soldiers leave, she helps the spies escape. And for that, Rahab is remembered as a hero of the faith. All because she showed mercy to a couple of outsiders. I guarantee you Rahab did not have her doctrine straight. Um, she's not passing any theology tests, but when the rubber hit the road, she followed the way of Jesus more than a thousand years before Jesus was even born. That's the legacy of Rahab. That's what James is calling us to when he talks about faith without works being dead. 
Let's pray. God, thank you for putting tension in our scriptures. Tension that challenges us, makes us think, and forces us to grow. Help us, Lord, to live in that tension of faith and works. Help us to find that balance. As we place our faith in you and commit to following you, God, let that faith transform us to be more like Jesus. Let our faith overflow into works of righteousness that honor you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.